We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. To the Roadwire NBA podcast. It is Wednesday, June thirteenth. Nick Whalen here with James Anderson, not Alex Barutha. Back to back pods for the first time uh, in a while as we move into one of the slowest periods of the entire NBA calendar. Maybe the slowest week um, with the NBA Finals over and the NBA Draft still eight days away, um, but. With it being June 13th, that means it is, of course, Jamario Moon's 38th birthday. Um, also, the 10-year anniversary of Jamario Moon making the second team All-Rookie uh, in 2008. Al Thornton was the first teamer that year, uh, someone who you've slandered on at least one occasion on this sp- specific podcast. Um, before we get into NBA draft stuff, that's really what we're going to focus on today. Um, again, with the NBA draft coming up next Thursday, uh, we should note Dwayne Casey, officially got the job with the Detroit Pistons uh, and his underling Nick Nurse will take over in Toronto I mean honestly neither of these really move the needle for me all that much Um, I mean certainly Dwayne Casey is a very good coach I I don't know that 
I see him as like the key to to unlocking this Detroit roster. I think they're kind of stuck where they are, regardless of who's coaching. No, I I don't care at all about anything that's going on with the Pistons right now. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, and I think I, I don't really know anything about Nick Nurse. People seem to like him. People seem to think he's smart. I think we'll kind of see how that plays out. I'm not going to pretend like I have any insight on that. Um, but let's get to the draft. Um, DeAndre Ayton seems locked in at number one. I wouldn't say this is exactly news, but uh, around this time last week, he was hanging out in Phoenix. He worked out. He you know, met Devin Booker, met Josh Jackson, watched, I think, game three or game four of the finals with the team. Uh, and then publicly said, I know I'm going number one, which, of course, doesn't guarantee anything. Uh, but all indications at this point um, are that Aiton will be the pick for Phoenix at one. Um, I still wouldn't say it's like a consensus, though. Uh, I mean, it seems it seems to be a consensus for the Suns at this point. But I think if you if you pulled GMs and pulled scouts around the league, it's not like DeAndre Aiton is necessarily like running away with this. Uh, and I, I don't think, you know, all 30 teams would be taking him at one, you know, if they were in the Suns position. No, I mean, I, I would take Luka Doncic without even thinking twice about it. Like to me, it's not really close who should go number one. So I think it's kind of uh, sort of unprecedented in that regard that it seems locked in that Aiton's going number one. And I, there's a different guy that I would take without even thinking about it. So like I, it's a it's a weird year in that regard. I'm I'll kind of believe he's going one when I see it. I know that that's it, all the re- reports and him kind of claiming he's going number one or kind of coloring people's judgment on that. But I I just to me it's such a slam dunk that you take Doncic that I'll believe he's not going one when when it actually happens. Yeah, this would be a wildly elaborate smokescreen uh, by the Suns in which in which they're. Well, what are the Suns like? What are the Suns saying that makes it seem like it's a done deal? That is true. I mean, it kind of it was kind of taken and ran with his gospel when Aiton himself said he's going number one. Uh, it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't like the Suns came out and said, yeah. And, and in the past, you know, I think this has maybe been a thing more historically in the NFL where the number one pick will sign several days before the draft. That doesn't really happen, at least recently in the NBA. Um, so it's certainly no guarantee. Um, I mean, the Suns not all that long ago, what, three, four weeks ago, we're talking on national TV that they weren't even 100% set on keeping the pick. Uh, so I wouldn't rule anything out. I mean, I, again, at this point, it seems very likely that Aiden will be the pick at one, but nothing is official. Um, where do you see Aiden like, as an overall prospect? Not in this draft, but relative, uh, if we're to assume he's going number one, like where does he come in relative to these other number one picks in recent drafts? Like, Is he, is he on the same level as you know, Markel Fultz, as like a Towns? you know Simmons Davis like where does he check in in that kind of group uh definitely not Davis definitely not Towns um I didn't Fultz wasn't my favorite player in last year's draft so I think Mm -hmm. kind of Fultz is kind of the good a good kind of ground of where some people think he's a clear number one other people maybe don't uh has you know a ton of offensive upside and some red flags defensively so that that's kind of similar to faults uh i mean it's a lot more when you're the center like it it's just easier to compare him to other centers Mm -hmm. so you know i think he's kind of more demarcus cousins than anthony davis if if you're just kind of looking for a big man comparison like in terms of just what i what people like demarcus cousins sort of without 
the baggage. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he he has a lot of the same strengths and weaknesses as Cousins. Yeah, and I mean, Cousins was already kind of a a maligned player after just one year in college, so that's part of the reason why he fell to five. Right. Uh, if Demarcus Cousins hadn't had any question marks, he could have theoretically maybe even gone one one. So um, that's kind of more along the lines. Like Anthony Davis was just a can't miss right. generational talent. So I don't think it's fair to compare him to AD. Right. And as, as dominant as Aiden was at times, as imposing as he is physically, athletically, yeah, you don't hear you don't hear him talked about in the same way that Davis was. Like there was no doubt, barring injury, that Davis was going to be a very, very good player. I mean I, I would say he's to this point he's met expectations, if not slightly exceeded them. Uh which if nothing else, I mean tells you how high expectations were. I know we talked a while back, and I think it was was Kevin O'Connor on the Ringer Pod a while ago, who compared this draft to 2014. You know, at the top, where you know Wiggins, Parker, and Embiid, uh, and to a lesser degree, Aaron Gordon, were all kind of in that top tier. And I, I feel like this class, you know, does have some of that, where you have a lot of guys to like, but no one that you're 100 percent sure every team would take at one, or 100 percent sure every team would take at two. I mean, they're I think if we had a look at every single team's draft boards, you know, this is there would be as much variation in the top three or four, you know, and all the way down probably to seven or eight, uh, as we've seen in recent drafts. And I think, I mean, the fact that Sacramento has, you know, already, you know, if you believe reports at least, kind of implied that they might not take Doncic, they're not in love with Doncic, they they wouldn't even be in love with Aiton necessarily if he was there at two. Um, I think this is all setting up to, you know, assuming Aiton goes one, if, if Sacramento takes maybe Jaron Jackson at two or surprises everyone and takes Michael Porter at two, I think this is setting up for a lot of teams to get on the phone with Atlanta at three and, and start trying to move up for Luka Doncic. Well, why wouldn't teams get on the phone with Sacramento at two? Well, I think they will. I mean, I, I'm saying assuming if Sacramento doesn't take Doncic, well, I mean, they are just a they should laughably, be they are taking like a laughably bad organization, right. obviously, like that goes without saying. But uh, I don't even think they're dumb enough to be picking at two and take someone else over Dantic without trading that pick like that would just be yeah. uh, a huge miscalculation if they if they just sat there and two didn't trade the pick and passed on Dantic, that would be just right. a horrible. The use worst of an thing asset. they could do is like take Bagley at two. That would be instead of taking him one of the worst draft picks right. in recent memory, just based on the value. Like you could exactly. trade, you could trade to the fifth spot and have a decent shot at getting Bagley. Yeah. And so. if you don't get Bagley, you would still have you know your choice at that point of probably Bamba or Jackson or they're Carter. not taking Bagley at two. There's no way. I I, I would I, don't, bet, I wouldn't do it. Of course they shouldn't do it. But it's the Kings. They, <laughs> I would they bet could, hundreds of dollars that, that they're not taking Bagley at two. That okay. just doesn't make any sense. I don't. I don't understand from their perspective why you give off the impression that you don't love Doncic. Like you should be telling everyone you do love Doncic. That they want to. They want to have to trade with you if they want to get him. I think it's more of a like he doesn't love us, so we don't love him type of yeah. thing. Where like the dump dump the guy before he can dump you type of thing like <laughs> I, that's that's kind of the only way that that would make that so, you, make so you're gonna to give me. the kings the benefit of the doubt and say they they make the right move and take josh donchich at two um i think donchich is gonna go in the top two of this draft okay that's my prediction i don't that's just makes that's how it should work like i don't mm-hmm. 
Somebody Should. really screwed up if Dantich doesn't go in the top two. And mm. that could be the Kings who really screwed up. But I, I still think, like, there are enough smart teams that would put the type of package on the table for the Kings at two. Because I, I think the Kings are the team that you try to rip off. Like, the, the <laughs> Hawks aren't the team that you just assume you're going to yeah. come and swoop in and rip off. Like, the Kings are that, that sucker in the room. So, like if teams are trading up for Doncic, which I think there'll be, you know, a half dozen Mm -hmm. teams trying to do that. uh, I think the Kings are the team that you could swindle there. Right. Well, in theory, you know, the higher you trade up, you know, that pick gets incrementally more valuable. I think, yeah, the Kings are the team that you could, you know, the the package that you would be willing to send to like Dallas at five or Orlando at six, you might be able to send that same package to get the second pick. Whereas another team wouldn't be willing to do that. Um, you and I were talking yesterday about some of the criticisms of Doncic, um, and you know, some of them maybe are valid. Um, specifically there's been some team or some evaluators have been critical of his like physical build, you know, which I think some people view as a positive, you know, it's almost kind of Harden like where he's not, you know, you don't look at him and, and think he's this, you know, chiseled Deandre Ayton looking type of player. Um, but in a lot of ways, you know, having that extra ball can help. I, I mean, I think he can probably lose weight or at least trim up his frame to some degree, but he's also 19 years old. And, you know, if you, if you read that being a Kimes piece from, you know, a couple weeks ago or a couple months ago, um, it doesn't really sound like he's in anything close to a, you know, an NBA weight training program at this point. Uh, and I think, you know, that's something that maybe not right away, but once he gets a full off season, um, you know, in an NBA system, uh, I think any concerns about his body, we're going to look back and kind of laugh at that. Yeah. I think that that's the most underrated aspect of him as a prospect is just the assumption that his body sort of is what it is. And like, you have to kind of work around that, like at NBA sort of just, just the dietary stuff that comes with being in the NBA and like being, uh, you know, having a, you know, personal chef that like the team is kind of assigned to you and like that type of like just eating what the team tells you to eat like that alone is going to help his body. But then you throw in like the NBA conditioning, like he doesn't need to like, as soon as he gets drafted, the number one thing I think any smart organization is going to do is try to reshape his body just mm-hmm. to some extent. And like, he's so uh, gifted like skills wise that like, he doesn't need to be spending like the amount of time in the gym that a lot of players his age have to do when they, when they come into the league, like he's got a lot of that stuff down, a lot of stuff that like is really hard to teach. Like he might be one of the best, you know, post up players in this draft and he's like, mm-hmm. I just turned 19 and he's probably the best passer in this draft. And he's one of the best shooters and one of the best isolation scores in this draft. Like he's got a lot of that stuff down. Once he gets into an NBA system like that, that's part of why a lot of teams missed on Draymond green is they just kind of assumed that that was going to be his body once he got into the league. Mm-hmm. And obviously as soon as he got into the league, he kind of reshaped his body and, uh, became a little quicker, became a little bit more athletic. And, 
you know, that doesn't have to happen for Doncic to be the best player in this class or one of the top three or four players in this class. But if that does happen, then I think it's almost a lock that he'll be the best player in this class. And it's, you know, any any smart organization is going to look at him and say, like, well, we can make him a little bit quicker, a little bit, you know, better shape, um, a little bit more explosive. And, you know, then you're talking about, you know, erasing a lot of the stuff that people are hold, currently holding against yeah. him. I think that's a lock. Like I can't, I can't imagine him <laughs> somehow getting in worse shape because he's not one. He's not even in that bad of shape. Like, not, where people are talking about got, him like he's Michael. Yeah, Sweetney. no, he's like very. He's got a lot of, um, you know, he's very well conditioned. I mean, yeah. just based on the amount of games he's played, like basketball shape, he's fine. Like, yeah. but like just physically, you know, I mean, right. you you put give anyone just kind of off the street like an NBA caliber type of training program and they're going to look like a totally different person in like a month or two. Have you ever heard an NBA player say like, man, once I got to the NBA and (laughs) and started training full time and watching my diet, I mean, I just got so much worse. Like Donovan Mitchell, like a month into this past season basically was like, yeah, now that I can focus on basketball full time, it's night and day, you know, you feel like you're a different player in the span of a couple months. What, how much time do you think Doncic gets to just, you know, do stuff in the weight room or do stuff like, um, you know, cardio type of stuff. I drills, think it's hard with the hordes of, of women around him to kind of get <laughs> well, anywhere. Yeah, like that, but like also just he's playing all these games. Right, like he's yeah. just playing in so many more games than any of these other guys are doing. And he's banged he up. Doesn't yeah. really have time to like. If you're just playing in the Euro League, like you don't have time in between games to just focus on your body and stuff like that. I mean, you're kind of just th- using the games to stay in shape almost. Right. So. uh yeah, it's it's going to be really exciting to see the type of player he can become once he he's able to kind of focus on an NBA lifestyle like that. Yeah, if you can't tell, this is a Luka Doncic podcast, and it, I mean it's gotten to the point where it's it's a real shame that I think he's a victim of just being evaluated for a full calendar year. And yeah, people are now, like a month before the draft. Now people have I've just run out of criticisms and are starting to well, pick I, them apart. I mean, I think it's totally. Uh, I mean, he he's going to be a mediocre defender so that's where your criticism should kind of start and in my opinion end and if you're talking about a primary ball handler in the nba there you know and you just kind of went who are like the top 20 primary ball handlers in the nba all right you want me to list them right well (laughs) how many of those 20 do you think are average or better defenders i mean Half maybe, yeah, without, maybe without, without looking at a list, maybe half, I maybe mean, half. You're talking about guys like Russell Westbrook, LeBron, and James Harden are probably in the top five of that Curry. list. And none of those get Curry, right? Um, like so yeah, half Durant's, Durant's a good defender when he tries. Like Ben Simmons is better defender than a lot of people thought. Like Donovan Mitchell's got good defensive tools. Uh, yeah. Like Mike Conley, Drew Holiday, those guys are good defenders. But like all the like a lot of the big guys, especially like towards the top of that list. Maybe like top twenty is not even a good example, but like top ten, you might be looking at less than half yeah. are average or better defenders. And so like he can be a top ten, top five player in the league during his prime and be horrible def- <laughs> defensively. Like we've there, seen that that, that, that archetype that, is that happens. Like that, that could win Steph you an MVP. Curry's won two MVPs. James Harden's won an MVP. Russell Westbrook's won an MVP. Those guys are all below average defenders. I mean, what the four after this year, it's going to be four straight MVPs for average at best, if not well below average I, defenders. I think Curry's the best defender of those four guys. <laughs> like that's Stephen Curry, who gets attacked right. in pick and rolls nonstop right. in the playoffs. Well, and look at someone like Westbrook, who like, coming out of UCLA, that was one of the that was one of like this 
his uh, positive attributes right. was like he profiles as yeah. an excellent defender long term, and that just never happened. Like just because you have a six four six five frame with long arms and are super athletic doesn't mean you're going to become that defender anyway. I think being a smarter defender as opposed to being an athletic physical defender ends right. up having more value more yeah. often. Yeah, like he and he tries like so much harder than the typical high end. Uh, primary ball handling prospect, like a lot, of, like almost every, you know, Dennis Smith, Markel Fultz, like uh, D'Angelo Russell, like, like all these guys, you could just tell when they're freshmen in college that they just don't really give a crap and don't really try that hard. Like Doncic tries really hard and he's really, really smart. Um, and like his basketball IQ is already, uh, way ahead of the rest of the guys in this class. So he's going to be able to understand a system and, you know, he's not going to be a great one-on-one defender when he gets kind of put out on an Island like that, but he's mm-hmm. not going to kill you by just like losing his man, like right. that type of thing. And so, and he's, his size allows you to just be incredibly flexible with where you put him. Right. Um, I mean, and, size and ball handling ability. Yeah. Like you can, you could have him guard a lot of threes and a lot of fours in the half court like it, it's right it's a unique situation where i don't think it's going to be that big of a deal right that doesn't mean you're going to slap him on kevin durant but what it like what it means yeah. is you have more places if you need to hide him you have like three or four positions in some cases where you can hide him right and the, like if you're playing a team that doesn't have a traditional center you might be able to hide him on any right. of the five guys no that's that's becoming so right i mean that's becoming commonplace and a lot i mean the Cavs were fine with it didn't work out all that well, but they were fine with George Hill switching out onto Kevin Durant. You know, I mean, guys, the way that, that the type of lineups that teams are starting to run out, it's just kind of the way things work. Um, Mo Bamba, there's no real news on Mo Bamba other than like you just kind of get this general feel that that he's gaining steam. I don't know that that's ultimately going to result in him going any higher than we thought he would two or three weeks ago. Um, but, you know, it's, I forget what outlet did a big, big piece on him. The way he's training, you know, apparently he's added a bunch of weight. He's refined his jumper. He's completely reworked his release. Uh, again, I don't know if this is going to mean, you know, he's probably still not going one or two. I think he was kind of always in that three through eight range. But I think now it probably seems more likely that maybe at maybe Atlanta at three gives him a harder look. Dallas at five and, and Orlando at six kind of seem like the best fits. Um, but if he falls beyond that, then he becomes a, a big time value pick for Chicago at seven, Cleveland at eight, New York at nine. Although I don't think we're going to see him fall beyond six. I think he's going to go either three or five. I don't, I really don't see him going past five. Like, so no Memphis just because of Gasol. uh, They want, they want to get back to the playoffs. (laughs) You don't want to double down on centers. They're just way too easy of a landing spot to mock like someone you don't really like that much. <laughs> like, I don't, like they just seem like a team that would take Bagley or oh, yeah. a team that would take like yeah. Michael Porter or something like yep. that. Um, no, they so, seem like Bagley central. That's yeah. So like, I, I think the Hawks are, I mean, he's, if you were picking three and you're the Hawks, like, you know, who care? Like forget about who even took don't such an eight and, but just say those two are off the board. Like who would you take at three? I mean, the Hawks are in a position where you should, under no circumstances, be drafting for fit, right? You just oh, take yeah, the best no. player I mean, available. There's no. 
even if you were drafting for fit, right. that would still mean taking the best player available because yeah. you don't have any long-term pieces. Well, I mean, I've seen the like... argument where it's like, ah, they, they, they might not like Jaron Jackson because they have John Collins. Like, look, I like oh. John Collins, but he's... Jaron Jackson's like the perfect fit next to John Collins because he does all the stuff that John Collins doesn't do. Right. Well, people, I mean, I've, I've read that they don't want to take, you know, Bagley, back to back power forwards. Like Bagley's the guy that I just think, um, Bagley would make the least sense. I mean, best player available, like Bagley's never going to go three, but like, uh, just fit wise, I actually could see an argument for not taking Bagley specifically just because you already have John Collins and they're like basically the exact same guy. Right. Like I wouldn't bet that Marvin Bagley is markedly better than John Collins over the next like five to 10 years. No, that seems like a him being about as good as John Collins seems like a pretty reasonable outcome. Yeah, and like it's not it's not a bad player, but it's no. not the type of player that I think a lot of people think Bagley will be. So to answer your original question, I'd go Bamba at three. Okay. I like Bamba. I mean, I I do understand there is some bust potential there, but I I still think his floor defensively is so high that like he's not going to be his sheep the beat. You know, you're not mm-hmm. just going to get absolutely nothing out of him. Like even if the offense never comes around, even if the shooting still hovers around low 30s like he's going to be so good on d and he can you know he's athletic enough to at the very least just like play the deandre jordan role you know like to me i just, I just don't really see you know you have Dwayne deadman i guess in atlanta but like what other reason do you have to pass on him i think i'm there too and i like i think i like jaron jackson slightly more as a prospect but i just think from like a team building standpoint given how bare things are for the hawks and how big of an uphill climb they face like i think bomba gives them a better shot of turning into a winning team like a a sustainably winning team just because like if he if he hits his ceiling then that just puts a lot less pressure on the rest of your players because of how good of a defense you'll have and like if jaron jackson hits his ceiling like that's a really great player but i don't really know what the identity of that team is and they still probably don't have enough firepower so i i think i would go bomba as well no i agree i think he can turn you into like the you know the go bear jazz where it's like you because he's so good on defense you don't need you you don't need quite as much surrounding talent to still you know win the same number of games that you would win if that makes sense yeah like you don't need yeah, you don't need as much around. Just like yeah, look you at don't need jazz. as many good offensive players because you don't they have allow that many points on defense. How many like above average offensive players did the Jazz have last year? One. I mean, <laughs> some nights Joe Ingles. Yeah, I mean, I I view him as like an average offensive player. But yeah, like, right. I mean, it's like Derek Favors wasn't great. No, Jay Crowder. You know where I stand on him. <laughs> no, exactly. I mean, I think that's kind of the <clears throat> when you have a player like that, that's kind of the archetype. And obviously, Bamba in theory at least, offers a little more offensive versatility than uh, that Gobert does. Cavs at number eight, it's not that we ever expected this, but it's looking, you know, almost certain that we're not going to have any inkling of what LeBron's doing by draft night. I mean, <laughs> LeBron technically can't sign anywhere until after the draft anyway. Um, but, I mean, they're basically going to have to make this pick, I think, with the, you know, with the the understanding that LeBron isn't going to be there even if they're still going to do everything they can to keep him i just i don't think even though you're you know it'd be different if they're picking one or two you know you're still you still have a chance to get a very good player at eight i I don't think you can 
you can make a draft night trade, you know, not knowing LeBron's intentions. To me, that seems way too risky. And and the way that they've attacked this in the last year since leave, uh, since losing David Griffin would lead me to believe they're just going to go best player available. Yeah, but they, um, I think they there will be a really good player at eight available. I just don't know if I have faith in them to know who that right. good player is because like. There's sort of that obvious top seven that everyone kind of references and just kind of assumes is the top seven, like with Wendell Carter, Michael Porter, Bamba, Bagley, Jackson, Doncic, Aiton. So I th- I feel sort of confident that that'll be the first seven picks in some order. Um, See, but- I feel like Trey Young might sneak in there. Okay, well... He Trey Young, we should note, is working out for four teams and four teams only: Atlanta, <laughs> Orlando, um, what is it, Chicago, and the Knicks. Where are and the Knicks? All, the Knicks pick ninth. They have okay. the lowest of those four. Um, I mean, he's just such a Nick, uh, right? The, I mean, it's, the, him going to the Bulls would just be so hilarious because then they could really deploy maybe the worst defense in NBA history next year. Uh, they they like openly said, you know, they're like we, you know, they, we really like Trey Young, we really like Colin Sexton. <laughs> I mean, I, I I'm never of the belief that you should be drafting for need, you know, but like See, you have Chris Kn- Dunn and you have Zach Levine. Like the Knicks have like done, or I mean, the the Bulls have done some like smart stuff recently, right? Which don't, is very weird to say about this. the Gar Pax regime, but like. They they're They've on a they're themselves. on a bit of a heater. They and, are. Uh, they could get like Wendell Carter would be such an amazing fit there. Exactly, I completely agree. And I don't think Carter's going to go top six. Um, no, I would be surprised too. I mean, so for Carter to go six, you would have to. You know, we're assuming Aiton, Bagley, Doncic, Jackson, he, Bamba are off the board. So I think he could go. The two guys that I could see falling, like, way further than people think are Bagley and Porter. And I don't think both would fall, but I could see, like, a scenario where maybe NBA teams are smarter than the general public is kind of – or than we're giving them credit for, and they'll sort of see Bagley for what he is, and maybe they all just wise up and, like, don't take him until, like, 8, 9, or 10 – uh, with Porter, like, you kind of need his medicals to take him, right? To, of course. To use, like, a top seven or eight pick on him. So what if the medicals are just bad and he's not worth a top six pick based yeah. on his medical record? So, like, <clears throat> I don't see any of those other guys falling out of the top six. So if, if But if one of those two fell out of the top six, then Carter is yep. in play at five or six. But um I you know, I, I think there's a chance also that Shea Gilgus Alexander or McCall Bridges goes high just because I like them a lot and I think that if you just look at this class and look at the way the NBA is trending, those are two of the only guys that fit the current NBA. Like though mm. it's it's very easy to see how Shea Gilgus Alexander or McCall Bridges fits on a title contending team in today's game whereas it's very easy to argue that uh some of those other some of the bigs don't and so like i could see those guys sneaking in too but i mean yeah uh carter to the bulls would be an amazing fit um 
I mean, you're rolling out your top four is Carter, Markinen, Levine, and Dunn for a team that was like, you know, it was, you know, complete disaster scenario mm-hmm. after you lose Jimmy Butler, you know, for nothing at the time to be to be sitting there a year later with that four. I mean, I don't I don't really see how you could be disappointed about that. I mean, I wouldn't mind Michael Porter there if you want to swing for the fences with him. Obviously, assuming the medicals are good, I think the Cavs. That's kind of the guy for them too, because he. I mean. As much as I love Wendell Carter, like I don't know if he has the ceiling that Porter does. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I think it's the <laughs> talking about like the ceilings of a lot of these guys. I think is very much in the eye of the beholder. Like mm-hmm. if if you really want to get yourself worked up and talk yourself into Bagley having a really high ceiling, you can. You could do that with Jackson. You could do that with Porter. You could do that with. I mean, even Carter, like the guys that, you know, he gets comped to Al Horford. If you, I don't think that's that, a bad comp either. No, I, I don't either. Like, I think that's a good ceiling comp for him. But if you believe in him, like yeah. the, the person that's highest on Wendell Carter thinks he could be Al Horford. Well, that's like a top 20 player. So yeah, you could argue all these guys have pretty high ceilings if you really want to. Yeah. I mean, to me, the only guy who whose ceiling I'm like pretty certain isn't, you know, potential all-stars Bagley, <laughs> you know, and like, obviously you could, you can kind of see where it would work out just because he's such a freak athlete and things like that. I just don't, I mean, I think it's in play it's hard that, to be an all-star. I think it's in play that he could be a guy that averages like 24 game on a terrible team. Uh, oh, that sure. doesn't, that, that doesn't mean, yeah. yeah, that he won't be an all-star because he won't be on a team good enough for him to get into the all-star yeah. game unless he's a role player on that team. And then he wouldn't be an all-star anyway. Like, he can't be a really good player on a really good team, and therefore he can't be an all-star. This isn't the perfect comp player-wise, but, like, to me, he's more like Julius Randle type, where it's like, yeah, if you give him 35 minutes, mm-hmm. he, he can go get you 25 and 12, but it's going to take him 21 shots, and he's going to turn it over a few times, and he's going to have possessions that he just throws away. Yeah, no, yeah, he's... It's it's definitely not, like, the same type of player, but I totally see where you're mm. going there. Uh I mean, I, I don't know. I think he defensively, if he were able to turn into Julius Randle, I think that'd be a, a huge win. <laughs> I'm also I'm also want to start the rumor that he's only like six five. That he looked picture tiny was, in mean, that Kings workout the other day. He looks so small. Yeah, it's and he like, has the fro. Uh, like it's hard to look small with a fro like that. Yeah, that. I are you one hundred percent sure that was him? I mean, no, because I, I was told he was 6'10". I think that he looked no taller than, you know, 6'7", six, 6'8", six, in, in that. He looked that like about 6'7". Yeah. Like, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that. I saw it from behind. Yeah. I thought it was Timo Cruz. Well, dude, that's another Coach way. Carter. That's another way. Like, we're talking about which guys could fall out. Like, if he goes into all these teams and measures at 6'7", six, 6'7 seven, six, seven and a half, then why would you, why would you take him top six? Well, he didn't measure up at the combine. Wonder why? Yeah. What is he hiding? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, but like, obviously, all any team that takes any of these guys has all of the physical, like, documentable flaws. Right. So, <laughs> if he started dodging measurements at individual workouts, <laughs> then then we can start uh, raising some red flags. Not going to do that. Tape one. measure comes out. He just like walks you out just, of the like, gym, <laughs> hold him, and like let pages stand up back to back to him, and just be like, like holding him to the wall to measure him. <laughs> Um, okay, we'll go through a couple more quick things. 
Philly at 10, I, I could just keep thinking McCall Bridges makes so much sense, like almost too much sense that I don't think it's going to happen. I think somebody, a couple teams screwed up if he gets to 10, but it seems like he probably can get to 10. I think so, so too. I think every team drafting above them is going to talk, you know, tell themselves like, oh, you know, he's an older player. He, his ceiling isn't quite as high, which is probably true in the, in the grand scheme of things. But when you're starting at the point mm-hmm. that he is in terms of being NBA ready, um, you know, I hope he, I kind of hope he goes to Philly just because, like I said, it's because it makes so much sense. But if it's not him, who's their next target? I mean, you see, if, if you look at mocks, you see some Miles Bridges, you see Colin Sexton, you see Gilgis Alexander. Um, although I think those are just the guys that are projected to go in that range and there's not a ton of thought put into like how they actually fit. Um, I wouldn't mind Gilgis Alexander. He just kind of becomes your jack of all trades guard off the bench to replace, you know, Bellinelli and Reddick and probably Jared Bayless. Yeah. I mean, I, I still think there's a, like there are other guys who profile is maybe better at three point shooters than him. Uh, but to me, there's a big enough gap between him and like a Troy Brown or Lonnie Walker uh, or even like a Melvin Frazier, Kevin Knox, like the gap's big enough that I wouldn't go need. I would still take the best player. And then, you know, I think Gilgus Alexander would really appeal to the Spurs in some sort of Kawhi Leonard trade. So like you, you still have a big time asset there that you can Mm -hmm. move or you could just, um, you know, you can maybe do a draft trade, like a draft night trade. If, if you really want to grab, like if you really like Melvin Frazier or something like that, you could just trade down to, to mm-hmm. 15 or 16. Yeah. I think, I think if this pick landed at like five or six would be a, a hell of a lot more interesting. Um, but yeah, 10 is just outside the range where you can get, you, you can still get a very good player like McCall Bridges, but you're outside of the, you know, the quote unquote elite range. We already talked about Trey Young. Again, he's only working out for those four teams, which I would lead you to believe he's going to one of those four spots, but who knows? I mean, it's so certainly not off limits. I've heard the argument with him that he, uh, like his numbers as a spot-up shooter were so good last year that like people are sort of saying, well, like he doesn't even have to play on ball. Like you can play him off ball. He'll just be a knockdown shooter like, do you think Trey Young would be okay at all with being a spot up shooter in certain lineups? Like I just that's I, not in his DNA. I agree. I think if you're an NBA team, you you can't you can't really worry about, you know, is the player okay with this or his feelings going to be hurt that he's not handling the ball? I mean, I think I think that's something that you should consider. I just don't think people really think that way. I don't you can't you can't spend a top 10 pick on Trey Young if your plan is to play him at the 2. Like well, to like me, that the argument is like well, we'll play him at the one, but we can also play him in some lineups as like a two, just because of how good of a sure. shooter. Sure, I mean, he I is. think I think that you can do that. I just I'm worried about him defensively. Well, yeah, I mean, he's I think he's going to be. Uh, I th- I think why is Isaiah Thomas like not the perfect comp for him? Like I know that he's not, I know that he's taller, he's got more size than Isaiah Thomas, but just in terms of what type of shots he'll be able to get mm-hmm. and what he'll what he'll do defensively and i i just think he's gonna um really just murder any kind of offensive system by how ball dominant he's gonna want to be right i'm interested to see like wherever he goes you know his first i guess he's a better passer than thomas Mm -hmm. 
for no, sure. That's yeah. yeah. I think we know that for sure. Um, <laughs> that guy. Um, like, are, is there a team out there that's going to be willing to let him play the same way he did at Oklahoma? Like, are we going to watch his first game in October as a rookie and he's going to like have multiple like pull ups from thirty feet? Like, is that? I just don't. I just can't imagine that that's going to translate all that well. I mean, some is a team going to be okay with that? Or if a team be okay if a that? team takes him. Well, let's just go through, like, the top ten. Let's just assume he goes top ten. Obviously, the Sixers, no. Knicks, I think, would oh, yeah. be totally fine with that. Um, <laughs> Cavs, post-LeBron, would be totally fine with that. Uh, Bulls, I don't think so, just because they have Dunn and right. Levine, who, like, kind of need the ball. Well, we should say the caveat is if he if he's making them, he can take them. I sure. just I, we just need to see that happen. Um, you need, there's been one player in the history of the NBA who's really been able to pull that off. Right. And, uh, you know, Magic, I think they'd be totally fine with that. Oh, uh, for sure. Um, Dallas. Mavs, no. no, just because of Dennis Smith. I mean, I think you could just cross the Mavs out yeah. as a. I, I think Rick Carlisle probably watched one Oklahoma game and was like, no, no, thank you. <laughs> no, hell no. Um, yeah, and Grizzlies, no. Atlanta, yes. That's what worries me. Right. Maybe Atlanta, Atlanta is just going to play the long game here, take him at three, and just guarantee that you'll be picking top three or four for the next like three or four years take by letting Williamson and then yeah. get another number one pick. <laughs> just keep taking bad number one just picks. Keep taking get... bad like high profile prospects <laughs> and just continue to collect them. I could see. I could actually like not jokingly see the Knicks doing that because next year for the Knicks is going to be a complete throwaway season. Mm-hmm. If Porzingis comes back in March at like the absolute earliest. And the rest of that, the best player on the team probably becomes Tim Hardaway until then. Like, they have no reason to win games or attempt to win games. Like, right. no better way to do that than keep people entertained and let Trey Young shoot 21 times a game. That's, that's kind of the dream landing spot for him so that he doesn't screw up right. any of these other cool teams that are building. I genuinely want the Knicks to be good, but yes, it does feel like they need to atone for passing on Malik Monk. See, I think James Dolan is, is I don't want owners that are as bad as him yeah. to have teams they can be proud of. That I'll agree with. Trey Young is, is to James Dolan as like a really fast but poor handed receiver is that was to Al Davis. Like this is like Trey Young was <laughs> yeah. like made to yeah. go play yeah. in, for James Dolan yeah. and like be a reach at wherever he, wherever they take him. Yeah. He's seen like an episode of pardon the interruption where they were talking about Trey Young and yep. like, Oh you yeah. Know, he, he saw like a top 10 sports center thing where yeah. like Trey Young was the top player of the night. And he's he been, saw like, Bob Lee talk about him like, on outside the lines. Wow, next Steph Curry. I I'm all, I'm all in on this. Yeah. T- goes into the, basketball operations office just lets them know hey you guys so just just so you know if trey young's there that's who we're taking so yeah. just so you guys know i think that's <laughs> literally exactly how that would go down uh are there any guys beyond the lottery or even in the late lottery that you're particularly excited about i'm, I'm having a hard time like getting myself really fired up for zyre smith or robert williams or well, Kevin I'm, Herter. i'm excited for zyre smith's uh dunk contest oh, that's a lock debut yes. Um, that'll be fun. Yep. Cause he's like the perfect amount of mediocre and athletic where he's just going to, yeah, he'll, I mean, over under Zaire Smith dunk contests, I'll put it at like one and a half. Like he's definitely going to be in one. 
Yo, for sure. I think he he fits the profile too. He's he has like a perfect dunker body. He's, the he's not too the, tall. The perfect dunker body. Yep. Like if you were creating a dunker body, that's the dunker body. Like six four and a half, crazy hops. Yeah. Perfect. And everybody knows he has crazy hops, so like he he kind of has to do it right away as a rookie. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he'll pull the Terrence Ferguson, you know. And then I don't even maybe Terrence Ferguson didn't get invited. We probably shouldn't. In hindsight, Victor Oladipo maybe shouldn't have been in there. Um, I mean, I think. I, I'm always interested in what the smart teams do at the back of the mm-hmm. first round because, like, I always think it would just be so fun if the draft order... Like, it wouldn't be fun for a lot of fan bases, but uh, if the draft order was, you know, the team that won picks first, team that finished second picks second, like... Wait, you like the Warriors would pick first? Yeah, like, because I just think it would be so fun to actually have a draft where the smart teams were picking up top. Because all we're ever treated to is these really stupid teams and poorly run teams picking up top. So that's where, I think that's part of the reason why there are so many busts in the NBA or perceived busts is because you have just really stupid teams getting first cracks at all the best players. So uh, I'm excited to see what happens in like the final six or seven picks. Like I think Joshua Kogi could be a really cool uh, piece for like a contending team. There are just so many like three and D guys. Like I think DiVincenzo is fascinating. Like I think he could go anywhere from like thirteen or fourteen to like twenty five or twenty six. No, the Clippers having twelve and thirteen becomes interesting. Like thirteen is probably the the ceiling for him, but I could see it. That wouldn't be that crazy. I'm gonna just say this. I mean, it's gonna be controversial, but I'm uh, not a Kevin Herter believer. Oh my god! <laughs> you know this is being recorded, right? Yeah. Um, Freezing cold takes will track this down in <laughs> four or five beers. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I think the comp for him is like, well, he's kind of like Clay Thompson. And I, I mean, Clay Thompson is a top three or four shooter of all time. So if that's a, if that's a comp, <laughs> I, I'll believe it when I see it. Um, but I, I mean, if he can turn into like a Corver type, and even, you know, Corver would be a hell of a career if he can have that type of, type of impact. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that he's not going to develop into Kyle Corver. Um, no. I think no, I don't think so either. I'm trying to think of like a good, an actual like realistic comp Jason Capono. <laughs> um, I think Capono would have had a really nice run in today's NBA. Like I think oh. his career would have been completely different if he'd come along now. He he won the three point contest twice, I believe. Yeah, I got run like, out of the league. He like, was the clear. He was the clear like he was best guy yeah. at the three point contest. He would always be like a fifty nine overall on on like NBA Live oh six, <laughs> but then he'd be a ninety eight from three. Um, but yeah, no, I agree. I think he he was ahead of his time. Mm-hmm. He he could play a Corver role for any team if he was playing today. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Hamadou Diallo seems to be falling. Uh, I hate to say it, but Raleigh Alkins it's gotten to that part of the pod. Yeah, the Hamadou Diallo. Time, time to wrap it up, I guess. <laughs> time to bash Hamadou Diallo <laughs> for not coming out last year. Um, no, I'm really. I mean, the second round is is the second round. It's not an overly fantastic crop. I mean, I think we'll see the regular Devonte Grams, Javon Carter's guys like that. You know, good mix of college seniors, guys you've never heard of from overseas, and guys who either came out a year early or waited you know one year too long um i have nothing else do you have do you have anything to say about these kanye albums or the nas album that's (laughs) supposed to come tomorrow no i i I know uh, you like to take your time with these i really liked asap's new album um i thought push a t's album's a little overrated oh my god uh 
haven't listened to Kanye's album yet. Um, I'm interested in that Kid Cudi Kanye album, but I haven't listened to that yet. I haven't um, given that one a good listen. But I will say, as a as a 25 year old white man who grew up in rural Wisconsin, um, the Pusha T album was great. It was very relatable. Okay, <laughs> give it another spin. It's it's I'm not not into it because of the content. I just. It's just too offensive. I don't think the beats are as great as people are saying. Like I love the the beat on the first track. I don't I don't like the I don't think the beat on the second track's that great. And I'm I know that this is like slander, but it's I was if anything, I was gonna say the beats are better than the lyrics. See, I I like the lyrics. Like the lyrics aren't where he loses me. I'm I'm all about that uh that type of content in my in my okay. lyrics. <laughs> Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.